time. Children, it's sad to see you go. Enjoy your class. So this week, I was thinking through some of life's most important questions. I was looking around at what might the most important questions in life be. Uh, according to LinkedIn, they had a list of, you know, people were considering their job, their future, their, where they're supposed to be, and they gave a good list of these five most important questions. They said, where do I, do? I think they're pretty good, they're important questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? How should I live? And where am I going? So, these are pretty, pretty good uh, philosophical questions to think about for LinkedIn. So, um, but one question that we'll encounter today, I believe, is the most important. Because in this question, we find the answer to all these other questions that the world can pose. And this is the question that we've seen time and time again as we've gone throughout Luke. Who is Jesus? The answer, to, the answer that you have to this question, the answer that I have to this question, means everything. Life, death, salvation, judgment, justification, damnation, is all determined by one's attitude towards Jesus. The ultimate fate of humanity revolves around Him. So this is the most important question that we can ponder on today. Let's pray as we think through this question of who He is. Dear God, I pray that You would show us this morning more and more who You are and who we are. That we'd see our need for a Savior, God. That each home represented here today, each house, would be full of worship of Jesus. God, that you would reign supreme in our lives. Help us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and to understand who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So today, uh, the text is going to be broken into two simple sections. First, we're going to be looking at who he is. And then secondly, we're going to be looking at what he requires. So Jesus starts off, verse 18, he's off praying by himself. This is a repeated theme throughout Luke. We see Jesus off praying by himself when something important is about to happen. He did this in his baptism. He did this when he was selecting the 12 disciples, the apostles. And while the disciples were not praying with him, they were there. And Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and others say prophets of old has risen. These crowds, they had a variety of answers and theories about who Christ was, much like we do today. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's John the Baptist, back from the dead. If we think about our responses to Jesus, all world religions, they have something to say about Jesus. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet of God, but he's not the greatest prophet. That accolade goes to Muhammad. In Hinduism, Jesus is not considered God, but he's an avatar of sorts, an empowered incarnation, but not God. In Judaism, he is one of the many false messiahs in Judaism. In Buddhism, he's an enlightened man with great influence, but not divine. Jehovah's Witnesses, they see Jesus as the firstborn of creation, but he's not considered to be God. We see in our society reconstructions of Jesus from a nationalistic perspective, from a feminist perspective, from liberation theology, 
has something to say about Jesus. Many Jesuses in the marketplace today. If you were to just talk with people about who Jesus is, some might see him as a, a middle-class businessman. Some might see him as a, a liberal socialist, a, a revolutionary. Some pastors might talk about him as a, a health and wealth Jesus who would never allow his children to be sick or to suffer or to live in poverty. Some see him as a gentle pacifist. Some see him as a mythological character derived from other religions. Some see him as only human or only divine, a great ethical teacher. But Jesus, not content with what the crowds have to say, not looking for the answer from them, he turns and he asks the disciples another question. And it's here that we see a pivotal turning point. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is the question asked time and time again of Jesus from the scribes, from even his own disciples. We saw last week that King Herod was concerned about who this Jesus guy was, fearing that he might be John the Baptist back from the grave to haunt him. All through this gospel, they've asked it over and over. Who is this who has the authority to forgive sins? Who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? That demons obey him? Who is he? Now he asks his most trusted people, his disciples, his intimate followers. This question would have caught them by surprise. Peter speaks up for the disciples. He answers, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Christ is the word, it's not Jesus' last name, it's the word from the Greek. It translates to the word Messiah in Hebrew. It means anointed one. Peter rightly identifies Jesus as this prophesied one, this anointed one of God who would save his people from their sins, who would rule forever. This Messiah would be the perfect king chosen by God from eternity past. And this is the first time his disciples have recognized him as such. It's an important step in their training as followers of Christ. He doesn't care so much about what the crowds think. He's really asking, his heart behind this question is to know where his disciples stand. How about you this morning? Every individual has an answer to this question. Who do you say that he is? Is Jesus a good teacher that did some neat things? Is he a figure of history that inspires you? Get a little motivational message from? Or is he the Lord of your life? Is he the one in which you find your identity? Is he the one that you've been redeemed by? As you think about what he saved you from and what he saved you to, that you just, you have a joy. Is he the one that is worthy of all your devotion, all your praise? Who do you say that he is? Just as Jesus asked his most intimate followers, this has to be on a personal level for us. It can't be because of our, he's our parents' Savior. It can't be because I go to this church and therefore I'm, I'm good with him. It's a personal thing, individual thing that we all have to answer. I mean, can't you imagine just how the disciples, how easy it might have been for them to put stock in their accomplishments, right? I, I was right next to Jesus when he did that miracle. We followed you. We've supported you. Listen, we didn't make the loaves and fishes, but we handed them out. I got a sweet resume. 
as a disciple? I don't, I don't need to answer this question. Of course I'm following you. They can participate and play a part around the things of God, just as we can today. But we have to answer this question in our own heart. And how we answer this question, He's either Lord of all, or He's Lord of nothing. He really can't be anything in between. Either we're God or He's God. So Peter answers rightly. We see in the next few verses, he, he tells the disciples what he came to do. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Verse 21, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus' death, it does not come by the unrighteous. It does not come from the godless and wicked people, but at the hands of the trusted religious authorities, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. Look at verse 22. The Son of Man, pay attention to this word, must suffer many things and be rejected. Isn't it interesting how Jesus saw His mission? Must. This is a necessity, a divine necessity taking place in accordance with the Father, this divine plan. And it's no coincidence that He tells them after asking who they think He is, He wants them to know who He is and tells them of His future, the fate that awaited Him on the cross, so that they would understand what it means to follow Him. Recognizing Him as Lord means something. To follow Him is to embrace His fate. They're intertwined. They're connected. So Jesus' destiny includes His suffering. This is the nature of His discipleship. They would be rejected as He was. Many of them would die as He did. And He strictly charges them and He tells them, tell no one of these truths. This proclamation, as we've seen of anointed king, many people had different responses to it. It was a dangerous thing. People had a nationalistic idea of a Messiah that would come and overthrow Roman oppression. But Jesus rejected this idea. He came for something that was far greater. So we've seen who Jesus is. We've seen that He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. Now let's see what He requires. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. My beloved, my, my prayer is that you would dwell on this meaning of this passage this week. That these few words here, if anyone would come after me, if we are to follow Jesus, let us deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. This is what it is to follow Jesus. And this is so counterintuitive to everything we know and live for. This is radical discipleship that is so foreign. Sadly, many times it can be foreign in the pews of many churches. <laughs> we think of our approach, I, I want to follow a crucified Savior, but I want to keep my life 
I want to be Lord of my life. I'll take His benefits, but I'll largely remain the same, unchanged. This is not Christianity. This is where many people are deceived. It's a new identity in Christ. We're taken from living from the world, taken from living for the pursuits of our flesh, redeemed to new life in Him. We're now new creations, set apart for His glory. This is basic Christianity. This is what it means to follow Christ. And yet, our sin, our flesh, our pride, our selfishness, all of it pushes back against these words of Jesus. Deny yourself. We must first deny ourselves. This is far more of a denial of certain things. It's not like, hey, I'm going to abstain from that second slice of cheesecake. That's not the denial Jesus is talking about. It's a rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. A rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. Is there anything more against our nature? People want more community. We say we want more. We want friendships. We want uh, people to invest in us. But we don't fight for more. We we want to be served. We're not thinking about what someone else is eating for lunch. We're thinking about what we want to eat for lunch. In Christ, we're to cultivate serving others. In Christ, we're, we're to pursue others even when we're not pursued. We're to invest in others, serve the church, pray for each other. We're to love our neighbors. And apart from Christ, we want to be loved in the ways And we want to love others in the ways and times that it's most convenient for us or makes the most sense for us or in the ways that we want to love others. Christ calls us to deny ourselves. Something I wish we would have talked about more prior to starting Covenant Hope, prior to to planting in church, is this call to deny ourselves. This call to take up our cross. And I'm so encouraged that I've seen in this plant. I've seen it in your service. I see it in in losing a community of covenant life. In so many ways, we have room to be encouraged. But in so many ways, we we can grow in denying ourselves and understanding these words of Christ. Listen to how Jesus speaks of His radical devotion of His followers later in Luke in chapter 14. He said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This doesn't mean that we hate our families. We all of a sudden just start treating them poorly. But our love and our devotion to Jesus is supposed to be so great that by comparison, the love of family and the love of our own lives looks like hate in comparison to the way that we love Christ, to the way that our ultimate identity is found in Jesus. Is this the Christianity that you know? Is this the Christianity that you live? Christ changes everything. The world says, treat yourself. Find your happiness. Seek your fulfillment at all costs. This is where joy is found. Jesus says, deny yourself. Reject a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment if you want to follow me. 
Where in your life do you need to deny self so that Christ can become more? And if we're to follow Him, we're not only to deny ourselves, but also take up His cross daily. People would have a different understanding of the cross than us. We kind of see it as a cherished symbol today on the other side of the resurrection. You wouldn't find back then jewelry sales or many Mother's Day necklaces with a cross on them. Cross was not a mere symbol or a figure of speech. It was something that was designed to punish criminals. It was designed to squash rebellions, an instrument of fear and cruelty, dehumanization and shame. There's no known survivors of crucifixions. There was a symbol of absolute totality. It was a bloody spectacle of torture and death. I'm reminded D.A. Carson talks about uh, it would be like the equivalent of us wearing uh, earrings with the electric chair on them or, or a necklace with a mushroom cloud of Hiroshima. Those condemned to be killed by crucifixion would have to carry their own crosses to the site of their execution. And this is what Christ calls His followers to do daily. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it meant losing your job? If it means alienation from your family? If it means losing your reputation? If it meant losing your life and being a martyr? The answer for every faithful Christian must be yes. The cross signified a total claim on a life. And Jesus' disciples, they must deny themselves. Must renounce their own plans and purposes for their life. We're to die. We're to hand over the independence of our own will and bring every area of our private and public life under His control. We may be tempted to see these as additional requirements. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what is this super Christianity? This is uh, something more than just being a Christian. Maybe it's on top of repenting and believing. But, but these are a part of faith and repentance. This is what faith and repentance looks like. To deny oneself is to have a radical change of mind regarding our priorities. This is what true faith and repentance is. I've been reading through this book, uh, Basic Christianity by John Stott, and, and Jesus knocks at the door. And when He knocks at the door, we're not to open up our, our, our living room. We're not to open up our, our, our guest room just for Him. We're to expose every part of our lives. Open every dirty closet. Every part of us. Transparent. Every part of us. Inviting Him in. In submission to Him. How, how can... How can you take residence in my life in every single way, Lord? We must die to self and day by day be a disciple. Maybe you have a right confession, rightly acknowledging who Jesus is, just as Peter did, but are you a daily disciple following after Him? And I fear that hearing these words of denial, hearing these words of daily death, we, we hear them and we think of a big rock, a, bi a big burden that we carry on our back. Drudgery of following Jesus. 
I'm just going to be unhappy and die because that's what God wants for me. I think this mindset just shows just how tainted by the world we have become. We have such a low view of what we possess in Christ. Jesus is the Savior who makes known to us the paths of life. Who in His presence there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus calls us to a life of joy. He calls us to a life of a greater reward. Maybe you hear these words this morning and you let the weight of failures, the weight of your shortcomings consume you. We see how self-centered we are. We see how often we fall short. Brothers and sisters, grace is here for you. It's found in Jesus. The cross as a symbol of, of the absolute death and totality still stands. But it's not an absoluteness and totality of death as it did back then. It's, it's a symbol of His absolute and total commitment to His people. He forfeited His life. He took on the wrath of God against all sin and unrighteousness for your sake. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And everyone who turns from their sins places their faith in Him. Trust in Him. And what He did, they'll be transformed. They'll be liberated from living a life from self. Redeemed to new life. Eternal life. To a life that lives for the ultimate treasure in the universe. A life that is found in Him. The fallacy is that we think to live for Christ is really to give up all the good things. But as John Stott further says, when we lose ourselves in following Christ, we actually find ourselves. True self-denial is self-discovery. To live for ourselves is insanity and suicide. To live for God and others is wisdom and life indeed. Live for wisdom and life. This is what we see in Jesus' word. He goes on, he says, Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll, find, we'll save it. We see the irony here. That you can't save your life by clinging to it. You can't save your life by preserving it. But only by forsaking it and following the way of the cross. To the one who Jesus is more important than their own existence, their eternal existence will be secured. But to the one whose existence is more important than Jesus, their existence will be lost. What are you seeking in your life at this point? What is your life trajectory? Are you seeking to make your legacy known through your career, your accomplishments at work? Or perhaps it's through your parenting. Are you seeking to be popular at school? To get as much attention as you can get? Maybe you're just wanting to have the most fun possible, the most comfort possible without any of the hardships. Sign me up for that. Jesus wants you to have a bigger picture, bigger than good retirement, bigger than fun weekends, bigger than just personal fading happiness. The Lord of the universe wants you to have lasting, continual, enduring joy in every aspect of your life. The very one who knit you together in your mother's womb says, lose your life for my sake and you will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Even if we could gain the whole world, the whole world meaning everything one could hope for, right? You could just, you know, have the genie and you could just make it happen right now. Just give up your soul. This is a poor bargain to Jesus. Sometimes we think of musicians. Uh, most, uh, most notable is this guy named Robert Johnson. and His story of how he, he dramatically sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads that he could play the blues better than anyone else. Think of different people that have sold their soul to the devil. But human beings do it every day. Trading their souls for what this world offers. Apart from God, the soul, your soul is precious. It is the one thing without compare. Those who strive desperately to preserve their own souls to save themselves at any cost, apart from Christ, they will lose it. Jesus goes on. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, verse 26, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Notice verse 26, the shame we may feel is not just for Christ, but also for His words. We cannot separate who He is from what He taught. We cannot separate the God from His Word. If we're ashamed to bear dishonor now for the name of Christ, we'll be unable to share in future glory. A follower of Christ is not one who flees the humiliation or the suffering involved in being a Christian. If I say to my friends, I love Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And I'm prepared to follow Him wherever He may go. Jesus will say, I love Ronnie. He's mine. If that is true, if that is genuine. But if I'm ashamed of Him, if I don't want anyone to think I'm weird, I don't want anyone to think I'm a fanatic, we go and sit around the Thanksgiving table and I just kind of hide my Christ, Jesus will say, I'm ashamed of him. How do you identify with him this morning? Are you willing to bear the, Christ, the name of Christ wherever you go, or, or are you selective? I'm this way one, in one place and this way in another. May we never be ashamed to associate ourselves with the one who paid it all. Diedrich Bonhoeffer warns us in his book, the cost of discipleship, that God's grace in Christ is free, but it is never cheap. And we never confuse something that is free with cheapness. Cheap grace is the one that says we can have the forgiveness of sin without doing what Jesus says. And we pledge ourselves to deny ourselves and to, to walk the road to Calvary daily take up our cross. None of us live this perfectly. We all fall short. But when we sin, when we stumble, we get up, we confess our sins, we repent, and we get back on the road to discipleship. As our passage concludes, we read in verse 27, we see those that would not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. These are those that would bear witness to a remarkable experience of the transfiguration. We're going to see that next week. 
where we see God's divinity on display, Christ's divinity on display. So brothers and sisters, a proper confession of Jesus involves a new understanding of discipleship. We can't say Jesus is Lord and live a life that is unchanged. When believers confess who He is, inevitably they also confess what they must become. The destiny of all humanity is based upon your relationship to Him. Based upon your answering of that question. Who is He? We're to surrender our lives to Him. We serve a Savior who laid down His life for us. He's not asking us to do something that He hasn't already done. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We're to love as Christ loved us. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life when we were enemies. There's no greater love. And we get to serve this king wherever he may take us. I recently read an old journal entry, a letter from a foreign church planner. And in this letter, they were talking through all the hardship of planning a church in, a, in this context and all the persecution, all the suffering that had come. And I just love at the close of their letter, they say, isn't it fun to be a Christian? In this life, We don't know what will happen as we take up our cross, as we follow Him, but we have Him. He holds us secure. Men and women are longing for purpose. We have infinite and eternal purpose in Him. Many live in fear of what could happen in the world and events. Will World War III happen? What happens if my candidate doesn't get chosen? All these things can be taken from us. We could suffer, and yet we are held secure in Him. We're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. In this is life. So I just, I leave you with a charge, brothers and sisters. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and live. Let's pray.